So this morning, um, I'd like for us to look at a particular event that took place um, within or shortly after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And even further to that, I would like to zoom in on a particular detail that took place within that event. And for our reading this morning, I'd have you um, turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and we'll be reading verses 19 and 20. John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. This is the account of the first appearance uh, of Jesus to his disciples after his resurrection. So John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20 says this. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were his disciples glad when they saw the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. So in the the scripture that we read here this morning, um, we pick up in the narrative on Easter Sunday um, in the evening. And uh, so imagine... This being Easter Sunday, um, this is the morning, so we're now in the evening time. And um, earlier that morning, we know that uh, Mary Magdalene had actually met Jesus in the, car- in the garden and proclaimed um, that news to the disciples. Um, some of them actually went to the tomb, saw that the tomb was empty, did not see Jesus, and then uh, went back and were assembled um, with the other disciples, as it says here, in, in a room together. And it was a locked room. And as we try to um, paint a picture in our minds, as it were, of, of what was taking place um, and, and going through the minds of these disciples during this time, I think it's hard for us to fully grasp that, um, that reality of what they were experiencing. Um, we can see with, with details from the text here and some hints that we read about in the Gospels of, of what they were feeling um, and, and what led them to do certain things. Clearly, they were inside a room that was locked, so there was some, some fear that was going on. But even when we consider um, the events that led up to where they were at this point, um, just three days prior, they were with Jesus celebrating the Passover supper, the Last Supper as we call it. And that was a monumental event, even within John's gospel here. um, So much of what he writes within the last uh, quarter or third of his gospel is is taken from the words that Jesus spoke at that meeting. And um, they were with him during that event. They traveled with Jesus to the garden. They witnessed his arrest. Um, They saw him taken away, put on trial unjustly, and ultimately crucified um, they saw him buried. Um, they may not have witnessed it, but they knew of his burial by Joseph of Arimathea and of Nicodemus, who took the body of Jesus and laid it in a tomb. And then there's silence. Then things are quiet as Jesus is resting in that tomb. He's, he's dead and he is in that tomb. And they are now facing the reality of what that is and what that means for them. And clearly they're confused. Clearly they're, they're scared. They're fearful. They don't understand everything that was going on. And, and it, it, it drove them to 
what, to the position that we find them in right here as we, we read these words in verse 19. And it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. They had locked themselves in a room, the doors were shut, and they were fearful. And I think in some ways it's understandable, um, the, the, the position that they were in, um, that they were fearful. We know that um, what was going through their mind, they saw Jesus taken away and crucified. And the, 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 the Jewish leaders who had done this um, clearly had a... a a very clear intention or motive of extinguishing Jesus and everything that had to do with this movement. And the assumption, the, I think the right assumption, is that if they killed Jesus, they were coming for these disciples next. And they were fearful of that. And even the disciples were, were, were struggling to come to terms with the reality that Jesus was gone. Not just their fears of what was going to happen, but the simple fact that Jesus was no longer with them. And when we consider that they had spent three years with Jesus, literally by his side for for three years, witnessing everything that he did, from his teachings to his miracles, um, those that he did publicly, those that he did privately in their midst, them being going through the storm with Jesus and seeing the power that he had to calm the storm, hearing those words that only they heard as the close disciples of Jesus. They had that, that close relationship with Jesus. And now, now Jesus is gone and they are fearful. And before we cast too much condemnation on them for, for being in such fear, as, as we, we would say, um, you know, we, we look at this situation, we say, don't be fearful, there's hope coming. We can imagine how hard it was for, in, for them in that moment and the fear that gripped them. And even for myself, when I look at my own life and I consider the fears that I have, the fears that we all have, um, of different circumstances in our life and just looking ahead to the future and wondering what is in store, what's coming, we all have a sense of fear, not just uh, of what's all going on around us right now. I mean, that's sort of the, uh, an obvious fear that, that is gripping many people's minds right now, but just throughout our lives. I mean, this will pass, this will, this will go on, but throughout our lives, we have fears. We have things that we struggle with that we don't understand. And, it, and it's very understandable as we look and see the disciples in this position, why they felt this way. Having been around Jesus, having, having known who he was, having that close relationship, for them it was obvious that being away from Jesus, being separated from Jesus, was something that they never wanted, that they never wanted. And even um, when Jesus predicted his death to them, and he did, we read throughout leading up to this, uh, as, as the event was drawing closer, Jesus predicted his own death to his disciples again and again, telling them, I'm going to be departing from you, I'm going to die and, you know, everything that took place, or everything that he said would took place, is now unfolding before them. But as he told them those things beforehand, they wouldn't listen. And they even went so far as to rebuke Jesus and to say, no, no, Lord, don't let it be. And Jesus had to then rebuke, uh, we read about um, Jesus rebuking Peter when he said, no, Lord, this, you know, this will not come to pass. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus knew this was coming, and he communicated that to them. But they didn't understand, they didn't fully understand the purpose for which Jesus came. The redemptive purpose for which Christ came to this earth. This is what it was all leading to. 
This event was inevitable, and Jesus knew that purpose that he had, that redemptive purpose for coming to this earth. And the disciples could not fully understand that. And they didn't understand those words that Jesus said as he, he tried to explain these things to them ahead of time. And I think about the, the, the verse in John chapter 12 where Jesus said to his disciples, Verily I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Jesus explained to them that he must die and that in his death it would bring forth much fruit as a result. And he explained to them the necessity of his death, but they just did not understand it. They couldn't understand that. And now all of this was taking place. And there would be a day when they would understand it. We can, we, we, we clearly know that they did understand it at one point because so much of the New Testament, um, is of, of all the, the books and the letters that were written is all an explanation by some of these very men explaining what was happening. So we know that in the future they did fully understand. They did, they were able to comprehend everything that was happening. And, and again, we have the privilege of hindsight. We have the privilege of looking back and seeing all of this laid before us, the full gospel, and we can understand it. But for them, in that moment, they couldn't understand how all of these pieces fit together so perfectly, yet they did fit together so perfectly. And for them, even the fact of being separated from Jesus was something that they couldn't fully comprehend and take uh, a full grasp and understanding of. And it drove them to fear. And just like the disciples, um, like I mentioned before, in our lives, we have Fears. There are times in our lives when we fear, even though, like the disciples, we have witnessed uh, the teachings of Jesus. We've heard the message that he proclaimed. We know of the great works that he has done. These are all things that the disciples experienced, and you you would think that having gone through that, they would understand that. But but we are the same witnesses of those things. We've seen them all. We've witnessed. We've heard. We know of his great works. We've tasted of the goodness of Jesus Christ. Yet we ourselves at times, are still fearful. And to live in fear is a terrible place to be in. And that's where these disciples were in that moment. But the incredible thing is, the incredible thing is that in a moment, everything changed as we see what happens next. As the disciples are huddled together in that upper room or in that room that they were in, fearful and afraid, in one moment, everything changes. As we read further on in verse 19, it says, then, it says, Jesus, then Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, peace be unto you. Jesus came to them. Jesus appeared to them, not as a spirit, but he himself, his resurrected body, the imperishable body that it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that, that spiritual body um, that all those in Christ will one day possess, a body that is not corrupted um, by um, this sinful world and uh, the corruption that has come as a result of sin. Jesus comes in his resurrected body in flesh and blood and he appears to the disciples. And he meets them in their time and in their place of fear. And likewise, Jesus does that for us as well. He comes to us in our time 
of fear. We, he, he doesn't wait for us to come to him. He comes to us. He meets us in our place of fear, in our place of doubt, when our faith is weak, just like he did to Peter when he was out on the sea and he was walking on the water and he looked around and he was fearful of the waves crashing around him and he began to sink. Jesus came to him in that moment and he came to him in his fear and Jesus does the same for us in our fear in our weak, in our faith that is weak. And he says to us, as it says in Isaiah 41, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. He doesn't let us go in our moments of doubt, in our moments of fear. He comes to us as a loving and a gracious Father. He strengthens us. He helps us. He upholds us, as his verse, as this verse says, and He is gracious to His children in their fear, and He brings peace. As it says, we, the, the first words that Jesus spoke to His disciples when they, when they saw Him, His resurrected body, He said to them those very words, Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. Such a, a common greeting, but I think in that moment, those words meant so much to those disciples. To see Jesus, the Prince of Peace, come to them in that moment and say, Peace be unto you. In the midst of their fear, Jesus gives them peace. He gives them peace. And it's the same peace that he talked about back in John chapter 14. Just prior, he said to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, Give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus gives them peace, and it dispels their fears. And that's what the peace of God does. It dispels our fears. And in his grace, Jesus gives peace. Jesus gives peace um, to those who are fearful. And there are many in this world who are without peace. Um, Many even now in this time right now, who do not have this peace. And I I just want to say to you that Jesus Christ is the only one that can give peace. Jesus Christ is the only one that you can turn to to give you peace. Don't look anywhere else for that peace because you won't find it. He is the only one that can give true and lasting peace. Now, what Jesus does next, what Jesus did next, is I think what caught my attention. And I'd like to, as I said at the beginning, zoom in a little bit closer on this particular um, detail within the account here. In verse 20, it says, And when Jesus had said so, he showed unto them his hands and his side. He showed unto them his hands and his side. The first thing that Jesus did after giving them peace, the first thing that Jesus did before anything else was show the disciples his scars. And in Luke's gospel, he, he says it this way. Jesus said to them, Behold my hands and my feet. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side and see the scars. See that it is I, that it's, that it is, that I am who I am, that I am Jesus. See that reality. See my hands. See my feet. See my scars. We don't know much about Jesus' resurrected body. Um, The Bible doesn't give us a lot of description um, of the way that he looked. We can read in other accounts that there were times when those 
when they, when some of those who knew Jesus saw him and didn't recognize him, or at least not at first, um, we don't know a lot of details. But this one detail, the scripture makes very clear that Christ's resurrected body bore the scars or the marks of his crucifixion. And they did so, I think, not just um, as proof of who he was, that he was, in fact, Jesus, but his scars tell us something. His scars tell us something. And when we think about scars, just any of us, I think we all can can look at our bodies and, and probably point to a, a scar that we've gotten before, something that's left a, that, that has happened, that has left a mark on our body. Um, our scars have a way of saying something, and probably all of our scars, we have a story behind you. You might have a scar on your arm, and you can say, oh yeah, that happened when this happened. We all have these scars, and our scars tell a story. And some of our scars carry very little meaning um, or significance, um, but some of them say a lot, either to our shame or to our glory, depending on the injury. <clears throat> And I don't have any reason to believe from Scripture that any of our resurrected bodies will have any marks or scars on them. But this one thing is clear from the Word of God, that Christ's resurrected body did have scars and will have scars for all eternity. Think about that for a second. For all of eternity, Jesus' resurrected body will bear the scars or the marks of his crucifixion for all of eternity. Why? Why is, why is that the case? Why will Jesus' resurrected body for all of eternity bear these marks upon them? Many of our scars, um, un- sorry, unlike our scars, um, Jesus' scars are not a defect. They are not um, something that is to his shame, but rather to his glory. And just like our scars, tell something. Jesus' scars also tell us something. And there are four things that I see, that when I look at the scriptures, um, at least four things that I see um, that Jesus' scars tell us, both now and within eternity. And if you're taking notes, you can write these down. These are the four things that I think that Jesus' scars tell us um, when we see the scars of Jesus. First, they confirm Jesus' scars confirm that the price has been paid. Jesus' scars confirm that the price has been paid. Next, Jesus' scars affirm his love for us. They affirm his love for us. Thirdly, Jesus' scars remind us that he knows our pain. His scars remind us that he knows our pain. And finally, Jesus' scars declare his victory. Jesus' scars declare his victory. And we can take great comfort in these realities. We can take great comfort in the truth that as Jesus shows us his scars, his hands and his feet and his side, and we see the the scars of Jesus, as he showed his disciples those scars in that moment, we can know with certainty and with and, and, and a, a, a settled sense of confidence that all of these realities are true. All of these four things that I just declared to you. And let's, let's unpack these together here as we look at these four things that the scars of Jesus tell us. <clears throat> 
First and foremost, the scars, Jesus' scars, confirm that the price has been paid. Jesus' scars confirm that the price has been paid. When we purchase something, if you ever bought something before, especially a significant purchase, you always receive a receipt for that purchase, if it is a legitimate purchase. A receipt or an invoice, something to prove that you have made that purchase. And oftentimes, um, if the payment has been made for that purchase, you'll see something stamped on it. It will say paid or paid in full or there's no debt owing. That's the proof that a payment has been made. And when we look at the scars of Jesus and when we look at what happened on the cross, the event that caused those scars to be brought about, we can see and, and we, we, it, it confirms to us that the price has been paid. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he paid our debt of sin. We who were dead in our trespasses and sins, as the scriptures say, we, we had a debt that we could not pay. But Jesus paid that debt upon the cross. Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross. The it that this verse is talking about is the Son, is Jesus Christ himself. He was the one who was nailed to the cross. He was the one who became sin, as it says, who became, in in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, who became sin on our behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin for us, and he paid the record of debt that stood against us, as this verse said. With all of its legal demands, he paid that for us. And when we, when we look and when we see and understand um, the character of God, um, as we look at what the event that took place on the cross and, and the atonement and everything that was involved with that, it is, a, it is somewhat hard for us to understand. Um, why did Jesus have to die? Like, what was the purpose of his death? What did that actually accomplish? And when we have a, a right view of the character of God, we understand who he is, that he is a good God, that he is a just God, that he is a loving God, um, but that he is also a righteous and a holy God, and sin cannot be in his presence. God's character demands justice, and all sin against God will be accounted for. Sin um, doesn't just disappear, and I, I've mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. Um, we sometimes have this notion that sin um, somehow, as long as it, it's not that great, um, it just sort of disappears. You know, we, we all commit sins, but as long as we haven't hurt anyone in particular, or, you know, the, the consequences of that sin don't seem so great, then we have this notion that sin just sort of disappears. But that's not the case. Sin does not just disappear. Sin is must be accounted for before a righteous and a holy God, and our sin will, all sin will be paid for. All sin will be paid for, one of two ways. Either by Christ's shed blood on the cross that atoned for our sins, or we will pay for that sin ourselves in hell for all of eternity. There's only one or the other. 
That is, sin must be paid for. God's justice and his righteous character and his holiness demands that sin is accounted for. And for us who are Christians, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we can have confidence and assurance that when we look at the scars of Christ, when we see those scars, we can have assurance and it affirms for us that the price has been paid and we don't need to live in fear. We don't need to live in fear of condemnation. Like it says in Romans um, chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. We do not live in condemnation because Christ paid for our sins upon the, Christ, upon the cross. That is the gospel message. That Jesus, for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, their sins have been paid for. And we do not need to live in doubt, yet we need to just look at the, 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 the scars on Christ's hands and know that that price has been paid. But for those who do not yet know Christ, I'll speak to you and I'll ask you these questions. Will you see your sin? Will you see your own need of a savior and to have that sin dealt with? Will you look at the scars and believe that what Jesus accomplished on the cross is sufficient to pay for all of your sins? His scars confirm that the price, that, that what Jesus accomplished on the cross is sufficient to pay for all of your sins. Will you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and believe in what he has accomplished? on the cross and be saved. And not just that, don't just know as a, as a, as a, um, as a fact in your mind that the price has been paid, but will you believe in your heart and, and feel the deep love that Jesus had for you? And that takes us to our second point here, is that Jesus' scars affirm his love for us. Jesus' scars affirm his love for us. When Jesus shows us his scars, we can see in them the love of Jesus Christ, the great, the deep love of Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross willingly. He died willingly for you and for I. We know the story. We know the narrative of the events that led up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We see um, him in the garden. We see the, We remember those who came and arrested him who took him away, but we, we also know the words of Jesus um, um, when he said that, that at, when his disciples tried to stand up and fight for him, he said, don't you know that I could call uh, a legion of angels or even more, and they would come to rescue me in this moment. He had power in that moment, but he laid his life down willingly. He said earlier to his disciples in John chapter 10, he said, no one takes it, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up. Speaking again of his uh, foreshadowing of his resurrection that he could take up his own life, but he laid his life down and he took it up again. He did this of his own will and of his own authority willingly out of his great love for us. And we're familiar with the saying, we all know the saying, and I think there's even songs that have been been used the same phrase that says, it was not the nails that held him or that held Jesus on the cross. It was his love 
that held him there. And we know that those words are so true. It was the deep love of Jesus Christ that held him there on the cross. And we must open our eyes when we look at the scars of Jesus to see that truth as it affirms for us the love of Jesus Christ that he has towards us. The greatest love, the greatest act of love that could have ever been done. John fifteen thirteen. Greater love, Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this. Then he lay down his life for his friends. <clears throat> and his scars affirm for us that love. And that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he endured the pain and the suffering and everything that he experienced on the cross and that he went through for us. And his scars affirm that love for us. And that leads us now to the third thing that we see in the scars of Christ. And it is this, that Jesus' scars remind us that he knows our pain. Jesus' scars remind us that he knows our pain. We talk about suffering in the life of a Christian. Even now, I've been studying a lot about this as uh, I've been studying through First Peter, and, and um, it's, much of the book is about um, how to deal with suffering and persecution and opposition in the Christian life. And we see the scriptures talk so much about, about Christians and the sufferings that they will deal with. But really, when I, when I think about it, in some ways we have no further, um, nowhere, nowhere else, in a sense, do we need to look than at the scars of Jesus Christ to find the most comfort, I think, in our suffering as we consider the suffering that Jesus endured in the flesh on the cross. Even though Jesus was fully God, he was deity, he was fully God, he was also fully man, and he took upon himself the same affliction that we experience. And that gives us so much hope when we, when we consider that, um, that, that he bore our sins, he took upon himself, not just throughout his life, but mostly, like I would say, most of all in his crucifixion on the cross. And Isaiah 53 paints such a vivid picture of the sorrows that Christ was acquainted with um, when he was here on this earth and that he experienced on the cross. And I'll just read a, a few excerpts from that to remind us of that. It says, and he, Christ, was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed." The greatest pain that we can experience, the greatest pain that we can experience does not compare with the sufferings and the pain and the rejection that Christ experienced on the cross. And further to that, the greatest pain that we can experience also does not compare with the healing that we will experience as a result of the sufferings of Christ on the cross. None of us can say that Jesus does not know or understand our pain. He does. He knows our pain. He understands it because he experienced it himself. He came in the flesh and experienced everything that we experience. And ultimately, it led 
to glory. We see the glory that came as a result of that. And even in our lives, the sufferings that we experience ultimately will lead to glory as well, as it says um, that it, that our sufferings, um, in, in 1 Corinthians, um, it says that worketh for in us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory that's beyond compare. That's what our sufferings do. They work in us. As Christians, they work in us an eternal weight of glory that is not worthy to be compared. And Christ knows our pain. He understands our suffering. He promised that we will suffer as well. If you're my disciples, you will also suffer these same things. And his scars remind us of that fact. They remind us that he knows our pain and he understands our pain. And finally, finally, Jesus' scars declare his victory. Jesus' scars declare his victory. Jesus' death and the scars that prove that and the resurrection, his resurrected body, declare that he is victorious. Victorious over sin. Victorious over death. Victorious over the grave. He rose victorious over all of those things. As it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus rose victorious over sin and over death. And his victory is actually our victory, as it says here, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He giveth us the victory. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the, that, that victory and, and his resurrected body. He's the first one that resurrected, but there are more to come. There are many more to come who will also be resurrected, as he says. They that are in Christ that is coming will be resurrected with him and we will receive new bodies and will be resurrected with him. And, and that fact, that fact that Jesus died and is alive again, that we celebrate on this day today, is shows that he has conquered death and that he is the victory. And his scars are the proof of that. And they declare his victory now and throughout all of eternity. His scars are his glory. And we will praise him and we will worship him because of that. And in heaven, we will sing with the angels those words we read about in Revelations chapter 5, where it says, Worthy is the lamb that was slain, the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I say blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon his throne and unto the lamb that was slain forever and ever. When we see the lamb that was slain, that image that we see, the scars of Christ, the lamb that was slain, that, that picture that we see, it declares his victory, and it will declare his victory for all of eternity. I want to read you just a few verses of a hymn that we know. Um, Crown him with many crowns. Um, as I read these these words, um, they stuck out to me so clearly, and I was um, just impressed by them. Listen carefully to these words, um, especially the second verse, as, as we try to, as we, we see the picture that's painted here of the glory of Christ and of his scars and of the, the victory that it declares. <clears throat> 
Crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee. And hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side. Rich wounds yet visible above. In beauty glorified. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for thou hast died for me. Thy praise shall never, never fail throughout eternity. Crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed o'er the grave, who rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. Incredible words. The scripture that we read ends, it says, when the disciples, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. They were glad. They rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Do you see the Lord? Do you see his hands, his feet, his side, the scars that he is showing to you? Do you see the price that was paid? Do you see his love for you? He knows your pain. And his death, his scars, his resurrection all declare that he is victorious. I pray that you will put your faith in Jesus Christ. As, as you and I, as, as in this day, we look and as we see the scars that he shows us on his hands and his feet, I pray that we will behold those things, as Jesus said to his disciples. Behold my hands and my feet. And may all glory be to Christ, both now and forever, in eternity. Amen.